Hello, and welcome to Don't Get Any Ideas, the podcast for creative civic change, an experimental funding program that has supported 15 communities to shape, lead, and commission creative interventions to make positive change where they live. I'm Heather Peake, and I'm an artist. And I'm George Hill, and I'm also an artist, and we're from Creative Kingswood and Hazel Lees and Corby, just one of the community projects we'll visit in this series. Hi, George. Hi, Heather. How are you doing today? I'm well. And um, how was your journey over to Stoke this Uh, morning? A lovely journey, lovely conversation with Tim, Tim Morton. Yeah, it was a lovely journey. Thank you. And yours? Um, Yeah, it was really beautiful. Um, There's a really lovely roads and countryside all the way from Hay on Wye to Stoke. And also, you travelled, you didn't travel alone? I didn't travel alone. Oh, you can hear him, can't you? Yes. Muffin is with us today. Muffin, the imperial shit, so... Okay. Yeah, yeah. so you might, maybe you can uh, hear him in the background. I can. So, so we're, uh, we're here today um, with Anna Francis and Rebecca Davis. Hello. Hello, George. Hi, Anna. Hi, Hello. Rebecca. Hello. Hi. And Anna and Rebecca um, are part of Creative Civic Change and they run the Portland Inn Project, which is in Stoke. So um, we're here to talk to them about what they've been doing over the last three and four years, actually. So before we start talking about um, what's been happening at Portland Inn, we thought we would just talk about what's been happening today in the ecology of art, the arts in the UK. So today is the day that the Arts Council make their announcement about who the next round of national portfolio organisations are. It's basically um, the MPO announcements. And what that means for those people that perhaps don't know a huge amount about how the arts are funded is there are many, many arts organisations in the UK that are funded on a three to four year rolling basis. And they find out today whether they're going to get their funding or not. And so there'll be arts organisations that you have heard of, and there'll also be new arts organisations that are just applying for their funding. And um, you have applied for funding, haven't you? Yeah, we have. Yeah. And um, this is this is the first time we've applied for National Portfolio Organisation because I think in the previous round, the Portland Inn Project, as it is now, didn't exist. So we wouldn't have been able to apply. And so, yeah, it's amazing news for us today that our um, small arts organisation here in Stoke-on-Trent is going to be funded as a National Portfolio Organisation by Arts Council. So we are really, um, you know, feeling quite... I don't know, we've, we've got a mix of emotions, but just feeling very glad to be able to continue the work that we've been doing. And it feels like an important step forwards for us. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think the mix of emotions is more just getting our heads around mm. it, but only in a very positive way, I think. Yeah, because it is a step up and it actually it's definitely hard work that, you know actually it feels very well deserved for our kind of community and community of artists and residents as well so you've had a um huge transformation that's happened over the last four years yeah Yeah. definitely so when you first applied to ccc what were you then were you yeah so um we actually registered as a community interest company in 2018 and um we uh, applied to 
Creative Civic Change in 2019. Um, and well, we started with Creative Civic Change in 2019 and really we were project based. So we were the Portland Inn project um, and we were funded project to project. So we usually did something in the summer from 2016 onwards, really. And then in between, we really didn't do much. So Creative Civic Change enabled us to have a year round programme. Um, <clears throat> and I think that we have transformed during that process from a project to now we're an organisation and we have a team of people working with us. Mm -hmm. And um, for example, uh, right at the beginning of the Creative Civic Change journey, we set up our community decision-making panel so that there was a formal structure for community members to inform our processes of decision-making. Yeah, we had four priorities that were... Um, uh, well, our temporary space, so being able to kind of run a programme from a temporary space. So with CCC funding, we adapted a shipping container that was donated to us. We also, the second priority was um, developing skills in the local area as well. We have a big interest in clay, which we'll go into detail a bit later probably. But um, yeah, so learning lots of kind of creative skills as part of that programme with that funding safety and security was another priority because we are in an area that is very challenging in lots of ways and isn't safe sometimes and we'll probably go into that a bit later mm -hmm. and then the fourth priority was uh, strengthening our organization which meant as Anna just said uh, we could have a kind of growing team that were regularly paid rather than the project to project funding which meant that you know freelancers so we just have a kind of summer program and have a little bit of funding for that but outside of that was kind of a lot of unpaid work writing applications for funding and sometimes not being successful so it was pretty unsustainable actually but funnily um we had applied to the funding for ccc with some hope that we could um have some of that funding towards our building and if we're being completely honest and actually it was very um clear that we were not allowed to do that actually this funding was about our organization and and sh very short into the run of getting that funding we were really thankful for the opportunity to focus on our organization because actually without the strengthening of our organization you know who was that building for really and what would we be mm -hmm. genuinely mm -hmm. able to deliver from that building yeah, so, so it, it enabled us to think about everything that isn't the building that the community needs. Yeah, um, it, it it strikes me that we're all sitting around this table and we're four artists sitting around this table and um, how incredibly skilled you have to be in order to do what you've just done because you, you're able to, you have to think in terms of those priorities you were talking about, what you're really talking about is um, extraordinary delivery and an engagement, like real engagement, um, priority on uh, who makes the decisions and why. And then at the same time, growing an organisation, putting structure around it to the point that it be can become a national portfolio organisation. I just want to say that there's a, uh, I always really feel this about artists that do this, go on this journey. There's so many things you have to learn. And then in the middle of all of that, you are an artist and you make work as well. It's quite a lot, I think. Yeah. And um, a few people have said to us, oh, MPO, are you aware of the amount of administration? 
And Anna and I were talking about it recently. I hope it's okay to say this, but actually as artists, we're quite used to a lot of administration and we do a lot of that already. And we have been doing that and feel prepared for that with the creative civic change and the kind of evaluation and all the things that are needed to kind of grow an organisation. And actually as artists, yeah, there are many bows to our... Oh, no. Strings to our yes. bow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so terrible yeah. at sayings. Idioms. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, idioms, yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, we are like kind of octopuses anyway. And so, yeah, the Portland Inn Project is another kind of, yeah, is, is also like a big artist itself. There's all these different elements that aren't just creative, that are outputs, that are all these different things that I think art is capable of doing. Yes, and, that uh, and at the heart of that, the community. So, so you, you, Creative Civic Change has served the community with your, you know, leadership and mm. your drive and your. So, and you, you mentioned your community earlier, didn't you? About the engagement process. How has that been for you? How has it been with the Creative Civic Change journey? Has that helped? Is it? Is it yeah, I think because right at the beginning we set up that that way of um, making decisions together, and uh, we usually have a dinner so we will invite community members to the dinner and the community decision making panel is made up of um, a majority of community members but also um, other people who have a stake in the way that we work in the community so um, the local council the policing team and then different people kind of get pulled in at different times but there isn't a kind of formal list of who is in that decision-making panel. It's not like a a residence association where you've got people voted in or voted out. Uh Anyone can join at any time. It's quite organic. Yeah, that's it. Because our community um, is often quite in flux. So people come and go quite quickly because there's a lot of rental housing. Um, We realised that we needed a structure which could also enable that kind of flux and, and shift. Um, and and so people can come in and help make decisions when they want to or not come when they don't want to. Um, but it always is around kind of a social um, sort of sharing of food and a space to kind of um, get to know each other. Um, and actually, it's been so important that we had that structure through COVID and we did have to go online and we're kind of just coming back out of that now. Um, uh, in, in fact, I think creative civic change is, is what enabled us to kind of um, continue to be really well connected to our community through yes. COVID and be responsive to some of the significant needs that emerged as a result of the pandemic. Um, I know a lot of arts organisations just kind of really slowed down during mm. during the pandemic, but actually we were busier than ever because there was so much that needed You doing. continued throughout, you continued. We did, our programme continued um, and and changed and we had we found ourselves in a lot of support roles within the community supporting people yeah um you know in various ways we set up like a kind of tv channel rather than so yes the program continued but we adapted it so that we could people could access it online or we did sort of door drops of creative packs and yeah just created ways of kind Mm. of constantly communicating with families that felt isolated We also set up a digital library, for instance. This was a real um, moment of recognising the barriers to, you know, connecting to people. So there are families in our neighbourhood that don't have the internet. Uh So we set up... Or any devices, yeah. yeah. Which actually was really problematic when they're trying to learn at home or connect with family across the world. So So 
Do you think that creative civic change has enabled that to happen, you know, as well as the other stuff that you're doing? Is that, is, is it, you know, has it been a good... Um... Yeah, well, one of the things that was so brilliant about creative civic change funding was that although we had um, a plan at the start of what we thought we would need to do with, with the funding, um, it was flexible enough to enable us to kind of, um, you know, shift and move, um, you know, with emerging, you know, needs... So, yeah, we were able to kind of slightly adapt um, what the money was spent on. Yeah, which has been so important and, and really good. Yeah. That seems like a, a, a familiar theme throughout the Creative Civic Changes where art packs and, you know, the digital poverty, digital exclusion, you know, that that's very real as well. Um, I'd like to pick yeah. up a bit more, Rebecca, on just perhaps describing some of the things that you actually did over COVID because... Um, I'm not a member of your community, but I watched lots of stuff online that you did. And far away in my uh, living room, I, I felt connected to what you were doing. So um, digital TV, didn't you? Digital yeah, 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 PIP TV, which was um, to create, to connect and to make, or I can't remember what the three kind of buzzwords were, but... Yeah, just sort of recognising that we could move sport and um, educational workshops and creative workshops online, but also we could kind of create entertainment. Mm -hmm. I think So socials were were really important within that. So on Fridays, Rebecca would, um, as Mavis Davis, which is one of the characters that Rebecca plays, um, sort of host a social. Um, One of them, which was really great, was a um, makeup tutorial, which um, my, my then, I think she was seven, uh, Rowan did my makeup and then we had an online sort of meeting with British Strumix Spaniel. So we turned up to a meeting with, I looked quite horrendous, but obviously they hadn't seen me for some time. So they probably just thought, yeah, so, um, but yeah, lots of, lots of that activity was so important, I think for, um, but I, I just want to say that what was really clear is that, and what's really unusual is is that you're artisting and that's why you did it in that way. So it was, it wasn't the same uh, as connecting with say an institution or gallery or, or, you know, or someone that it was super, it was, it was very, it was art that we were looking at and you and you connect. And of course it connected in a heart way, you know, like I can remember watching Mavis Davis's makeup, you know, and it, it, it spoke to me on so many levels you know, it spoke to me as a sort of, um, I, I was wondering how you were as well. Like we're all wondering how we're, we're all doing. But then also it was really joyful and yes. beautiful. It really was. And it just sort of, and, and to say that as a kind of, um, like that's the way you do your, let's say if you were gathering your marketing or your commute or your comms, but what you were really doing is make you were making art which did exactly the same thing it connected people and brought people to you and this it was an extraordinary storytelling uh, we got to I got a feel I felt like I I knew what you were about you know yeah I think and it, that's it it was a very human response but also a very yeah I guess a kind of as an artist there's a there is that sort of DIY aspect as well and I was on my own as well so I had to do it myself as well like literally in terms of living so I was really looking for connection as well and so some of those doorstep meetings and connecting with families and there's a lot of um sort of um 
single parent households in the area as well. So I remember, Heather, you saying you'd seen an image actually that we shared and it was one of the mothers who lives on Portland Street, Nana, um, and her son was painting her toenails because she just received a pamper pack. And it was quite an amazing image Mm. actually. And, you know, her partner wasn't there at the time. He lives away and um and you know she was really feeling it and feeling very isolated so it was quite a powerful image you know Mm. in quite a sort of accidental natural way but yeah so there were lots of those kind of small encounters that um can be foregrounded because we're a small organization as well but also I think something that we really enjoy as a small organization but also as artists is and particularly with the sort of support that CCC afforded us was we really welcome when people come to us with an idea. So the pamper pack was an idea of one of the residents Mm. and it means that, and then we go, yes, let's do it. Let's, let's go for it. And then the next day it's, we're doing it. If we were in an institution, it would have to go through a producer, then somebody else and somebody else. Then Mm. we'd have to see if we can get the funding and then we might be able to do it next year. But, you know, that we we can be really responsive um, really quickly. And I think one of the other things that we've started um, talking a bit more about um, through the CCC journey is that although we might be delivering um, a project or an activity or a workshop, um, in fact, it's 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 all of those conversations and connections that that is the actual work isn't it and and we have recognized um the, the space within those workshops and those interactions for us to just listen really really listen to what matters to people mm. in the neighborhood is is almost even more important than the out outputs or the artworks that are being generated um and, and we've recognised that that is really part of the work that is quite important to us. Yeah, definitely. And you recognise that even in sort of some of the f- photographs of events that we've been doing, where there was definitely a point where Anna and I probably realised we can't facilitate the workshops anymore. We need to step back and create space, as Anna's saying, for those conversations. And really, and then I, f- I feel like in the last few years, my my hearing or my listening of kind of just people and their interests in these conversations that you have really resonate with me way more than they might have done years ago when I was probably delivering a workshop. So couldn't have that space to properly think. You're so busy doing that. Yeah. Facilitating that you're not able to, to do the listening. So, and yeah, so we, we are making more and more space so that we can listen, so we can have our ears really open. We, uh, Rebecca sent me a drawing, which was of us with massive ears, and it said deep listening. And I and I really like thinking about that about that drawing. It's because funny. listening is really important, isn't it? Yeah. You know, because often we, we we listen to reply when actually we're just listening to, to, to the connections that you've made. And um, the, that's so... Um, it's lovely to hear you recognise that because I feel a bit of that as well. You know, I do. I feel that I'm trying to listen more. You know, yeah. I wonder. Some I, I do. Um, I've heard heard other people talk about this the work in this way. It, I was with um, Carol Reed from Birmingham Group on, on Sunday, and we we I met her at Yorkshire Sculpture Park, and she brought a group up from Birchfield and Welsh House Farm to come meet me there, and we walked around. We walked around um, Yorkshire Sculpture Park, and she was talking to me about how she she's listening and she's noticing 
all the time. Everything from just the way someone might move, because that might suggest something that's going on, what what they what what time they turn up somewhere, like the way they uh, the way they communicate, even you know many many tiny things which are are all there. The signs they're all communicating to you without any words, basically, mm. and then what. You do with all of that information, and then you make a, then you suggest something. So the so the families that we had at YSP on the on Sunday were all because Carol does this thing that you're talking about, which is this whole body sensory way of working with people. I don't think it gets talked about a lot because I find that the best practitioners are those that are doing that. They do this thing where and you and you what you were just talking about then is that thing of then stepping aside or then stepping back, or hovering above, which is what we do, like hover above to look at what's going on. So being in it, but then looking back at what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes if there was a way of, you know, when when we when you apply for funding, when you've done your MPO, you, you will have talked about what you're going to do, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, but actually what you're going to do is that. You're going to do that over and over again for three years, and then you're going to respond and something's going, and you're going to make something. Like you don't like it's a lovely story about the the pamper packs, because um, the I, the fact that you're a, the being empowered to say yes, I'm going to do this, but not only am I going to do this, I'm going to make it art. That was the thing that I found really extraordinary about that. That's what artists do. You can action it, but you can also see this beauty and aesthetic and nuance in it at the same time, um, and then it becomes like gold. I I really think that um, and. Uh, you're going to have a very um, extraordinary next three years, I think, aren't and you, you? And you're both excited about it? Is it a trepidation? What is it? What's the feeling going forward now? When does it begin? When does this MPO or NPO begin? We think it's in spring next spring, year. Yeah. yeah. So a bit of breathing space to get ready yeah. for it. Well, we're already, I mean, as always, we're, we're right in our programming and we've got projects underway at the moment. So we don't ever really have a, a big gap because you know we have a youth club that's weekly and we have we have sports on a Saturday and we have constant programming um which we're really pleased we're able to continue with so we're not going to have a gap but we will need to have some time to actually properly think about how we make the most of this next sort of three years and um ensure that we are you know building on what we've managed to do so far really yeah because actually and this is what I'm getting better at. And I'm definitely learning a lot from working with Anna is, you know, you know, I tend to leap. Whereas, um, Anna, I think you're very good at sort of taking more time and being sort of more planned and, you know, thoughtful about something. And, and, and I know that there's a kind of, and, and there's a good combination of those two energies, which I think works really well with us. But sometimes, and that's definitely what was required in something like what is required in MPO, is a sort of a more considered, slow sort of approach to things rather than a kind of quite, um, you, you can still be responsive, but probably allows a, li- a little less of that quick response action, Yeah, actually. And, and the last year of our Creative Civic Change programme has been us working with our community to write a 100-year plan. So actually... <laughs> The next three years of the MPO is the first three years of our 100-year plan. Wow, yeah. So so if we're talking about sort of working slowly and giving time and mm-hmm. kind of recognising that, you know, we're in it for the long haul, we, we really are. Um, and our community 
I think, um, it, you know, writing this with us, um, it means that we're able to kind of start thinking longer term as a community about the change that we want to see. So the 100 year plan, could you speak more on that? Or, I mean, I, I know about it from before conversations. Could you just let people know how that's come yeah. about? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I think it's it's good to mention um, one of the creative packs that was delivered um, quite early on in the pandemic was a really simple one for some of the, the families. It was um, a little pot and a sunflower seed and, um, and uh, children in the neighbourhood. Some children had never grown anything before. And so this sunflower became their sort of first thing in their backyard to grow. And we had a sunflower competition. And it was really lovely because just as we were starting to be able to have a programme again, the children brought these sunflowers out um, to see how tall they were. And then we we got to see, you know, who got the tallest one and whose was more robust. Um, and it was really great because it actually meant for some community members, it was the first time they'd ever grown anything in their backyard. And they started to sort of recognise that that backyard space could be an extra um an extra room, but a sort of green room and could connect their little house to the ecology of the neighbourhood. Mm. And we started work with um, Andrea Koo, who is a beekeeper and a biodiversity specialist um, that in 2021. And um, she got us thinking about how our, our sort of um, the work that we could do, small changes we could make um, could increase biodiversity in our neighbourhood. And we started to think about, you know, um, yeah, well, it was Andrea who got us thinking about a 100-year plan because she noted that we, a lot of the work we do happens on Century Street. Um, wow. And, and yeah, and, and then we just started thinking, what if, because we recognise that a lot of arts projects are funded in really short-term ways and community work as well. And that that can be really challenging for communities because it means you you end up being forced into thinking short term. When we recognised as a result of the pandemic, um, we get really affected by, you know, external forces. Um, whereas if we have a longer term plan, we can be a bit more resilient to some of the kind of um, the ways you can be set off track. Yeah. And also in that context of the pandemic, um Sorry, I don't know why I say it like that. Yes. I like um, it. <laughs> um, uh, we, you know, also recognised that um, people were just sort of living day to day and couldn't really think about next week, let alone next year or 100 years from mm. now. And um, that thinking really long term, somehow people could grasp and yeah. it like empowered them to kind of think, long term and and feel a part of a bigger landscape and mm. um and so like you were saying earlier about the kind of c a community that's in flux actually it, it helps to kind of think like that in terms of laying roots or feeling a part of something if even if it is for a short time yeah the impacts of your actions um and no matter how temporary yeah and as a result of the 100 year plan we've been thinking a lot about the work we do in our neighborhood in landscape design terms so really i guess I'm, I'm a gardener and another project that I work on is a garden project. And, and it's been really helpful for us to start thinking of the Portland Inn project and our neighbourhood as a garden design. So 
um, in, you know, in the way that when you're doing a garden, you don't try and do the whole garden all at once. You do bits of the garden and you try something out one year and it, and you know, it might not work because the slugs eat everything. And so you try something else and thinking about our project like that has been really helpful actually, because, um, you know, everyone in our neighbourhood can take a part of the garden and look after it and they might want to know what the whole plan is. Some people want to know the whole plan and other people just want to look after their little plot. Um, yeah, which is really important because like in sort of in a community, everyone has a different idea of what a community is and everyone contributes in very different ways. Some people's idea of community is kind of our idea, which is hosting lots of activity and bringing people together and all these different things. But some people do it in quite an isolated, but also a vital way, which might just be litter picking very early in the morning. I know one of our neighbours does this without anybody else seeing. And and then they're making a difference by clearing the streets, but nobody knows what they're doing necessarily. It's just... Yeah, that- and one of my neighbours, every single... Um, what day has been day Tuesday brings all of the bins back to everyone's gate which is such a an act of sort of you know community spirit Mm -hmm. but is a hidden thing you know but that's that's him contributing to community life some people do it um, you know together some people on their own yeah Yeah. so and I guess that's a bit like artists some artists do that don't they a bit of mix and most so within your um, creative civic change uh, uh, organization here are you working with um, other organisations locally? So I know that we're in this building, which is... It's Airspace Gallery, yeah. So Airspace Gallery is one of our partners. And we also partner with some of the other arts organisations in the city. So the British Ceramics Biennial, and um, we've been working with them um, from the beginning. Um, and um, Appetite, which is Stoke-on-Trent's uh, Creative People and Places project, have always supported us. And actually is how Rebecca ended up um coming to Stoke because Rebecca was working on a touring project which Appetite supported um to come to Portland um Portland Street with a sort it was a pop-up social space wasn't it yeah the Oasis Social Club yeah yeah and that was yeah anyway that was and you're still here I am yeah yeah I did we then um set up the Portland Inn project in 2016 uh, before it was a CIC, just um, and then yeah, it's kind of snowballed since then. And I'm I moved, I moved to Stoke on Trent from London, so I was kind of ready for change. Uh, but also, I I couldn't really afford to live in London anymore. Yeah. Mm. Um, and this seemed like a really uh, welcoming place, and but also was really affordable. And yeah, it just seemed quite a natural step for me to. To move here. You've been here for how long now? So since 2016. So what's that? Ne- nearly six years in yeah. November, yeah. And you both have been involved in Creative Service Change from the start. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, one thing that I find that, that I notice <coughs> about you is that you are able to speak very eloquently about t- very small um, local details like growing sunflowers or um, someone who could litter picks early in the morning but but also able to think really really huge and on a national level as well and um you know the 
we don't work in isolation, do we? With these arts our arts organisations, especially when you work in an organic um, kind of uh, uh, no, not organic. I don't like octopusy way. Yeah, I like that. It's much better. Organic just seems to have lost its meaning now. Everyone uses it all the time. But if you're like an octopus, then you really are thinking. You you're thinking huge. So so do you, you must be thinking about things like national policy and and th- and thinking about the systems that we're in as well. Because uh, systems, yes, because we've not got long to go, but I thought we, we could at least have a little bit of check. I love systems. I just, you do know, you? Yeah. Oh, we should talk about that then. A bit in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think g- going back to our partners, so we do partner with arts organisations, but we also have always importantly had really strong partnerships with our local policing team because there's quite a lot of crime and antisocial behaviour in the neighbourhood. And with our local council, because, you know, they affect um, quite a lot of, um, well, they affect the housing locally and, you know, the roads and and all of the infrastructure. And because we've had those relationships with them and we've realised that as artists, we're quite good at bridging the gap between Mm -hmm. the community and the police, the council and their policies, their sort of local policies really impact on how we live our lives and the things that happen to us and our community and and that's worked quite well, actually, that, you know, we've been able to have good communication and make sure that um, the resource that is available to a community is targeted because, you know, all of these services are being really stretched. Um, so our communication with them has been so important. And I guess what what we have noticed this past year is that So if we, when we started to think about this, if we can have better relationships with those local policies and local policymakers, um, can we also start to have a better relationship with national policymakers? So things like, you know, levelling up, you know, what does, what does levelling up mean? And, you know, how is that going to support and affect our community? And how do we make sure that our community is heard in relation to those kind of national things? Um, so this past year, alongside the 100 year planning that we've been doing, we've been thinking about how um, we can influence national policy and um, try and have better communication with policymakers. So first of all, we asked ourselves, who are policymakers? Because when we talk to community members about policy and policymakers, mm. you know, who even are they and, and what, what are policies? Yeah, and and so we we I guess we stopped using policy and started talking about decisions because we have a community decision making panel and we know what we do with that. So if we think about that in relation to the national decisions, um, it makes more sense to us as a community and is something that's a bit more human that we can try to get in there and influence. Mm. Um, and it's been interesting how we've tried to go about that. So um, we decided to um, do some creative residencies. And um, it was really interesting to think, can we do some creative residencies in decision makers spaces? So um, we did, we were able to infiltrate, not infiltrate, it sounds like we've kind of, you know, sneaked in, but we were (laughs) were able to get into the council's cultural development, um, um, what was it called? Cultural cultural strategy, their new cultural strategy writing. And we were able to influence and make that a much more open process as one of our creative residencies. We then did one um, working within, uh, working with some of the local trust um, people around um, <coughs> questions about levelling up and then the community wealth fund. 
and we've been invited to Parliament to kind of give our thoughts about um, a, f- a few things this year, which had never happened before, mm. just as a result of us saying we want to influence decision making. And having a say. Yeah, mm. by starting conversations with people that we identify as being in charge of making those decisions. Mm. Um, and then we're just about to do a, a creative residency with our local police um, because we recognise that. So, for example, in our neighbourhood, um, the police aren't able to target as much resource because there's really low reporting on crime. And there's loads of crime, but nobody reports it because there's very high tolerance in, in the neighbourhood. So we want to affect that policy and say, you shouldn't just target resource where the crime reports are. That you know, we, we want to kind of try and get in there and see if yeah. we can influence that particular. And something that really occurs to me while you're talking is so many times... Um, people question or don't think about why they should involve artists or creativity in what they're doing. So uh, this happens all the time, doesn't it? And I think that's, you know, um, what you've just described is the exact reason why you need an artist thinker as part of the team of of anything. And art, you know, art is not something that is, it should be siloed, but it should be included. That creative way of thinking um, is something that should be a thread that runs through all parts of our lives, everything. Yeah. Because it do, because what you just <clears throat> described that way of thinking around a, a thinking and identifying problems, seeing things, but but also coming up with a a, a a way of connecting, and it's that thing that art does that it connects us. Yeah. And and to, so I'm I'm I hope we've got we're nearly done now, but I hope that that is that, that anyone listening to this will sort of start to think about, well, what role does art and creativity play? How, how well, it can play many different roles, actually. Yeah. But one of the one, one things that it really does is it really does connect people. It yes. does, yeah. So I think that's often the role that we find ourselves in, that we're, we're the bridge between our community and decision makers, our community, local services. We're often the bridge. And the way, the bridge that we build is through creative means, Um and I think we also unearth quite a lot of um, the issues or we kind of, we we help other people see what the issues are for our community because we're good at sort of making visible some of the stories um, that are important to our place and the people in the community. Yeah, I think it's incredibly powerful because it can be accessed by anyone and everyone and it's really important to us to be delivering really good quality on people's doorsteps and a lot of people in the neighbourhood who usually feel real barriers to arts institutions or um, art spaces or, you know, and, and so and so it's about accessibility. And yeah, but also I, I do think that art is quite cosmic and and has this very mysterious, incredible power that um, sometimes you can't quite put your finger on. So it's it's a strange dual mm-hmm. symbolism as well that um but I, I guess we are we we try and sort of demystify some of that in lots of ways because you know we're we're also citizens and people's neighbours and uh, but yeah it's it's yeah anyway I'm going off on a tangent. No, but it's, it's, that, that, you're, you're right, absolutely. So I think I think as Heather says, we're coming to the end. Um, just I would take the opportunity to thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, and thank you to Anna, Heather. Hey. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you, George. Thanks for listening. This has been an episode of Don't Get Any Ideas podcast. 
part of Creative Civic Change, an experimental funding programme supported by the Community Fund, Calouse Gulbenkian Foundation, Esme Fairburn Foundation and Local Trust. Do join us again as we travel the country sharing stories of change through art and creativity.